Welcome friend, I'm Rick Pasquale. Thank you for joining us today. I believe God has a word for you. I know God loves you and has a plan for your life. So listen to this live service and let God speak to you. Joshua chapter 3 verse 5, as we've already read, states, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. I'm ready for God to do amazing things in my life. I imagine you're ready for God to do amazing things in your life. And together as a church at ICF Rome, we're ready for God to do amazing things in our lives as a church family, as well as individuals. So today we're going to take one more run at Jericho. It's an amazing story. If you attended Sunday school or kids' church growing up, surely you heard about Jericho. Today I want us to go to Joshua chapter 6 and verse 20. As we take a look at the amazing Jericho, the town of Jericho and what it will say to us today as those walls came tumbling down. Joshua chapter 6 verse 20 reads, When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted and the sound, at the sound of the trumpet. When the men gave a loud shout, three things happened. Are you ready? The wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in. And number three, they took the city. Can you say that with me? Number one, the walls collapsed. Oh, come on, say that again. The walls collapsed. Number two, everyone charged straight in. Come on. Everyone charged. And then I love this last one. So they took the city. Oh, come on, say it with me. So they took the city. That sounds like victory to me. What about you? Yeah, what I hope you hear today and what I hope you take home with you is this truth that God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. Jericho was this walled city. We're told by researchers that it is one of the oldest inhabited cities on the planet. That as early as 9,000 years before Jesus was born, the city of Jericho existed and people were living there. The city of Jericho is in the base of the Jordan Plain, just across the Jordan River coming out of Egypt. And in uh, Jericho, we have been told that not only was there a one wall, but actually archaeologists have discovered two walls that encircled Jericho. There was a lower outer wall, and then space between it, enough space for houses to be built, to commerce, for commerce to be traded, and then there was an inner wall. And it is believed that probably the wealthier people lived behind the inner wall, and the less affluent people lived between the walls, and then the poor people lived outside of the walls. And as they saw the children of Israel coming toward their city, everyone would certainly have moved into the city. And the Bible begins this story about the battle of Jericho, saying that Jericho was shut up and that everyone was inside. Now it's believed today that from the base of the plain to the top height of that inner wall was approximately 45 feet 
are 13 and a half meters. That's a tall wall, isn't it? Have you ever faced a wall in your life that seemed like it could not be overcome? Have you ever faced a situation or a circumstance that it seemed like it could not be conquered? You see, in the days of Joshua and the children of Israel, everyone believed that Jericho was unconquerable. They believed that its fortress was too big, too strong. We're told at the beginning of this story that it is harvest season. And the, ch the children of Israel crossed the Jordan River even at flood stage. So with it being a recent harvest, and there were fountains and streams of water inside the city that they could shut themselves in and survive for a long time. But yet God had made a promise to the children of Israel. And God is making promises to us today. God will say to us today that what appears to be unconquerable will fall for his glory. God will say to us today that what we think cannot be defeated or overcome, that in the name of Jesus, those walls will fall as well. So today I want to look at three reasons that Jericho is an amazing place. It's an amazing place. The first reason I see is in verse 20 that the promise is being fulfilled. That first phrase we talked about says the wall collapsed. Now don't let that be some kind of phrase that really doesn't have any importance to you. The walls collapsed. The walls that had stood between the children of Israel and the promise of God collapsed. And uh, as we began to think about this, they are going into the promised land to receive the promise of God. And often when we think about the promise of God or the promised land to the children of Israel, we think only about that one aspect, the promised land. But actually the promise that was given to Abraham has three elements that God gave him. And the first element we see in Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. Now this is first, the first time that the promise is given to the children of Israel. The first time that it's given to Abraham, the patriarch, the father, that would be passed down from generation to generation. And the very first articulation, the first stating of this promise, doesn't talk about land at all. It actually talks about a purpose for living. It talks about life's purpose. Genesis 12 says, I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you and I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So the first element of this promise is that God was going to bless them so they could be a blessing. The first element was God is saying to Abraham that I am going to bless you and turn you into a great nation. And through this nation, the hope of the world will come. Through this nation, the peace that everyone has longed will come. And his name will be Jesus. He will be the Messiah. He will be the perfect Lamb of God. You see, the promise begins with the fact that they had a purpose for living. And that was to present the good news of Jesus to the world through their lineage. The second aspect is indeed a land to possess. A life 
to be lived, a purpose for living, and then a land to possess. The second time that God gives this promise to Abraham, we find in Genesis 12, verses 6 and 7. Abraham traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. The third time, he again reiterates the promise of the land to possess. Genesis 15, 7, he also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you the land to take possession of it. And then the next time that God gives this promise to Abraham, he again affirms the land to be possessed. Genesis 15, we read, Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation. They serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land, from the wad of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates. You see, the second element is indeed a land to possess. That there would be this area of land that the children of Israel would grow and flourish where they would experience the provision of God, where they will see the wonders of God displayed in their lives and families. And then the third aspect of this promise is a relationship with God. Boy, it's great to know that God's going to bless us, isn't it? It's great to know that he's going to give us a place to live and security and provision from him. But the best aspect of this promise is that we can have a relationship with God Almighty. Amen. That we can have a relationship with the living God who said, let there be light, and there was no debate, there was light. The same God who created all that we witness and experience is the same God who has invited us into a relationship with him. We see this in the fourth time God gives this promise to Abraham. In Genesis 17, it says, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you are now residing as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you and I will be their God. When the walls collapsed, at that amazing place called Jericho, the promise was being fulfilled. Amen. This promise had first been given to Abraham more than 400 years earlier. And this promise had been given from Abraham to Isaac, from Isaac to Jacob, from Jacob to his sons, and from their sons to the generations that followed. And now, 400 years later, these folks are standing at the walled city called Jericho. And they are standing there, and when those walls collapse, they are beginning to see the fulfillment of a 400-plus-year promise. What an amazing place. Isn't it good when we have promises fulfilled? When I was a child, and my dad might say to me, 
I'm going to take you for ice cream on Saturday. All week long, I couldn't wait for Saturday to come. Saturday would come, and I'd be up early and say, Dad, are we going for ice cream today? And he said, in a little while. And another hour or two would pass, and I'd say, Dad, is it time? Is it time? And he says, in a little while. And can I go now? He says again, in a little while. And it seemed like that morning turned into 400 years. But eventually we made it to the ice cream store. And oh, what a happy day. You see, they felt that same way. And we read in Proverbs 13, 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Jericho is an amazing place because there they see the promise fulfilled. Jericho is an amazing place because the past is overcome. Here's what I am certain of today. Everyone in this room and everyone who is watching my live stream, everyone has a past. We all came to this place and this moment with a past. And some of our past is good, some of our past is bad. Some of our past gave us life and some of our past brought us pain and even death in some areas. And the same is true about the children of Israel. They have come to this place called Jericho. And there they began to overcome their past. You see, the Bible says in verse 20 as we read, so everyone charged straight in. Now I need to help you remember that this is not the first time the children of Israel have been on the edge of their promise. This is not the first time that they stood by the river Jordan looking into the promised land. But their parents had been here 40 years earlier. And when their parents arrived at this place, they were given a charge by Moses for 12 men to spy out the land. So one man from each of the tribes of Israel went in and they viewed what the promised land was like. For hundreds of years, they had heard about the milk and honey they had heard about the abundance in that land. So Moses sends 12 spies and they come back and they say, it is true. Everything we have heard is true. The land is abundant. There is so much there. It is indeed an exceedingly good land. But 10 of those spies said, we can't take the land. They were afraid. Only two, Joshua and Caleb said, with God's help, we can take the land. The other 10, the Bible says, began to spread a bad report. In Numbers 13, we read, but the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes. Will you catch that phrase? We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes. They were afraid of the giants in the land. They were afraid of the large people who inhabited that land. And they were filled with fear. Even though, can you catch this? They had marched through the Red Sea on dry land. They had seen God overthrow the most powerful nation in the world at that time, Pharaoh and Egypt. 
They had witnessed the miracles of God. They had heard his voice. The Ten Commandments had been given. God had said to them, go to the land I'm giving you. They got there and they saw some giants and they were afraid. Now before we look down our spiritual noses, I wonder what God has done for us. I wonder what miracles God has provided to us in our past. And he points us to our future and we see a giant standing in the way and our heart is filled with fear. Their fear caused them to fail to take the promised land. You see, but on this day, when everyone charged in, the fear of the fathers was forgotten and rejected. But not only did they fear, but they failed to take what God had given them. Now, if I were to walk out today and hand you 100 euro, number one, I'd be surprised. And you probably would too. But if I extended it to you and you didn't reach out and take it, you would never receive that money, would you? You see, and that's what God had done. He'd extended to them a promise. And because of their fear, they failed to receive it and take it. In Numbers 14, verses 3 and 4, they began to talk and say, Why is the Lord bringing us into the land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? Time out. Egypt, really? Egypt. 400 years of slavery. And they're saying, let's go back to Egypt. I think they forgot that Egypt was now in ruins. That because of 10 plagues, the Egypt they once knew no longer existed. The army that they once saw was in the bottom of the Red Sea. The Pharaoh that they once held in high esteem had been brought low and humbled before God Almighty. And they're saying, let's go back to Egypt. Honey, there's nothing in Egypt to go back to. Oh, you didn't hear me today. You see, there are folks who will say, you know what, they get into a little bit of this relationship with God. And they begin to look around and say, it's not what I expected. The challenges are bigger than I believed they would be. I guess I will just go back to where I was before. I'll go back to that old lifestyle. There is nothing waiting for you there. See, we need to remember these fathers, the generation before these fathers failed to receive the promise of God. They say, wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? They said we should choose a leader and go back. But on this day, (laughs) on this day, an amazing thing happens. And the failure of the fathers is now forgotten. Because they charge straight in. They had heard the stories from their fathers that we were afraid. But now they're leaving those stories behind They knew that their fathers had wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. In fact, they had buried all of their fathers in the desert sand over a period of 40 years. And now all of that is behind them. And they charge straight in. Jericho is an amazing place. You see, the past is overcome. The fear is rejected. The failure is forgotten. But then the effects of slavery is defeated. 
slavery is horrible. Slavery is horrible to any person, to any nationality. Not only is a person confined physically, but when a person is enslaved, not only is their body enslaved, but their soul is enslaved. Not only is their body enslaved, but their spirit is enslaved. And the generation before that was afraid and rejected and didn't receive the promise of God, what they failed to do was break the bondage of slavery. God has set their bodies free, but their spirits, their emotions were still tied, so therefore they were afraid and they went back. But on this day, that was forever defeated. On this day, they marched straight in. They forgot the slavery of the past. They let go of what used to be. They moved beyond what they had seen and heard, and they marched straight into the city. I want to remind you today that you have a past. And there may be some of your past that's trying to hold you today. There may be something in your past that's got a hold of your emotions, your spirit, and you can't quite break free. I want you to know today is your day. I want you to know that today is the day that you can march in and you can take the city. I want you to know that today is a new day in your life. Today is your Jericho. Isaiah 43 says, forget the former things. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Will you touch your neighbor and tell them God's doing a new thing? Come on, tell your neighbor on the other side, the one you really like, God's doing a new thing. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Jericho's an amazing place. Slavery's finally defeated, not physically, but also spiritually and emotionally. Can I remind you today of Philippians 3, 13 and 14? Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to take a hold of it, but one thing I do. <laughs> forgetting the past, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on to the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. <laughs> the good news about the past is it's in the past. It's in the past. That day, slavery was defeated. When the walls of Jericho came down, it was a new day for the Israelis. When we begin to embrace a new day in our own life, our fear turns to faith. Our doubt to determination. Our paralysis turns to action. Jericho is an amazing place because there they overcame their past. And thirdly, Jericho is an amazing place because faith and confidence are rewarded. Faith and confidence, it says, and they took the city. The walls collapsed. Every man went straight in, and they took the city. Now, when it says they took the city, it didn't mean that they walked in and sat down and had a cup of cappuccino. When they took the city, they went in not as guests, but they went in as conquerors. When they took the city, 
they went in not only to cohabitate, but they went in to destroy the place and to claim that city for God. You see, faith and obedience are rewarded. We must have faith. Faith is essential to receive God's promise. Hebrews 11:6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Faith is essential. You see, you have to have faith that God will indeed fulfill his promise. You have to have faith that God has a better day planned for you, that God has already made a provision for your future. You have to believe, but then you have to also obey. You have to obey. For the children of Israel, obedience meant that for six days they would get up in the morning and they would walk around the city. Six days. Some people say that at that time there were a few thousand residents in the city. So it's a significant space of land to get up and put your walking shoes on. And they would get up and they'd walk around the city and they'd come back. When you read the instructions that God gave to Joshua and Joshua gave to the army to march around, one thing to me stands out. It says that they are to march around the city without saying a word. That in silence they marched around the city. Now, I think that's for two reasons. The first reason is I think it's to intimidate those who are living inside the walls of Jericho. That this army, half a million strong, is going to get up and they're going to march around the city and not say a word. Can you see the cameras from CNN on top of the wall? The silent army encircles again today. So I think it's, it's intended in part to intimidate the enemy. But then secondly, and I think this is a very practical reason. Listen, this is not Bible. This is Larry. Feel free to disagree with it. I'll probably say your idea is better. But here's what I think. One of the reasons is that God said for them to remain quiet. You remember their parents? And every time their parents had a challenge, what did they do? They complained and grumbled. So can you see this? My feet hurt. How about yours? That's no way to win a battle. Joshua has lost his mind. So God just said, don't say a word. Reminds me of what my mom told me. Your mom probably told you something similar. If you can't say anything good, don't say anything at all. So God just said, don't say anything at all. They marched around the city, and on the seventh day, they marched around it seven times. And then their obedience begins to be rewarded. It took obedience to get up for six days and to march around that city. It took obedience that on the seventh day to march around it seven times. You see, sometimes we have to demonstrate our faith by our obedience. James 2 says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? 
and such faith save them. Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If someone says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself is dead. Faith, if not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You see, we have to obey. It's not enough to believe. Even the demons believe. You have to believe and obey. Jesus in six, uh, Luke 6, 46 says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? My name is Larry, and I'm your friend. You see, we must understand today that faith is required, but so is obedience. That we must obey the Lord. Jericho is an amazing place because the Israelites are being rewarded for their faith and obedience. Now, that's the introduction. The good news is what's left will take us but just a few moments. I want to give you today three truths regarding God's promise for our lives. You ready? Number one. No time is too long for God to keep his promise. No time is too long for God to keep his promise. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. The enemy wants you to think that God has forgotten his promise. The enemy wants you to think that God has changed his mind. But the truth is, is that God has been intending to fulfill his promises in your life before you were ever born. That God has planned and purposed for you and that he will accomplish what he has purposed in you. If you will just stand up, face the wall of Jericho, God will move on your behalf. You see, the promise for the, prom the promise given to Abraham is now being fulfilled at Jericho, even though it is more than 400 years old. The enemy will whisper in your ear, God's forgotten you. The enemy will say, God doesn't care anymore. Time will begin to diminish your hope of that being fulfilled, but you need to hold on to the truth that God will keep his promises in your life, that there is no time too long for God to fulfill his promise. Number two, no obstacle is too big for God to keep his promise. No obstacle too big. Mark 11, 23 and 24, Jesus says, if anyone says to the mountain, Go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes that what they say will happen. It will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Amen. What's a doubled wall 46 feet high to God? What's a double wall 13 and a half meters tall to God? No obstacle is too big. 
You see, the walls were not too high nor too thick for God to keep his promise to the Israelis. And whatever stands between you and God's promise in your life is not too big for our God to overcome either. He can speak to your mountain and it can move. He can speak to your wall and it can crumble in the name of Jesus. And then thirdly, no enemy is too strong for God to keep his promise. No enemy too strong. Sometimes I think we give the enemy too much credit. Sometimes we give the enemy more than he deserves. And sometimes we're step back in fear because we think the enemy is so powerful. May I remind you, according to 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, it begins this way, you dear children. Can I just pause there? Don't you like that? That God calls you and me his dear children. He didn't call us orphans. He didn't call us somebody I really don't want around, but he says, dear children, you're from God and have overcome them. Why? Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Listen, the enemy may be bigger than you, but he's not bigger than your God. The enemy may be stronger than you, but he's not stronger than your God. The enemy may be fierce to you, but he's not nearly as fierce as your God. The God we serve is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, more than we can ask or imagine. That God is who is in us. If you don't have that God in you, I'd like to introduce you to him today. I'd like, you to, I'd like to point you to him. His name is Jesus. He is the risen son of God. Satan thought he had him whipped, but he did not remember the prophecies that said on the third day, the Messiah would rise again. So on the morning of the third day, Jesus took hold of the keys of death, hell, and the grave, and he came out victorious. Some of Jesus' followers went to the tomb that day, and the angel said, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Just as he said. Oh, he is the Lamb of God. He's the Rose of Sharon. He's the Lion of Judah. He's the bright and morning star. He is the Lily of the Valley. He's the first and the last. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is our Savior, our friend, who sticks closer than a brother. The God who is in you cannot be defeated, for he is the conqueror of all. So you can look at the enemy without fear because your big brother's got this he's got it 1st John chapter 3 the one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning the reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work the reason Jesus came was to destroy the work of the devil when the wall collapsed, the army of Jericho could not prevent God's people from conquering the city. Our enemy cannot prevent us from receiving God's promises in our lives. So the question is then, what do we do today? Jericho is an amazing place. 
an amazing place because it ushered in a new day in the life of an entire nation. I recognize that some today have come facing your own personal Jericho. That there's an obstacle between you and what God has promised. In moments of quiet faith, you hear God's promises for you, but the reality of your life causes those promises to be diminished. You're keenly aware that God has more for you than what you're currently experiences. And occasionally, you get a glimpse of the abundant life that Jesus has promised. But Jericho's between you and that promise. People around you will say you'll never win this fight. People around you will say you cannot defeat this enemy. But I want to remind you one more time. The walls of your Jericho will fall as well. That in the name of Jesus, the walls of your Jericho will crumble and you'll march straight in and you'll possess the promise of God. So what do you do today? The worship team, musicians, will you make your way back? What do you do today? Stand firm on God's promises. Stand firm. 1 Corinthians 15 says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory. Can somebody just say praise God? Praise who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Philippians 1.6 Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Today you've heard a word from the Lord, and I believe God has spoken to you. So if you say this prayer with me, I know God can change your life. They're saying it live here in Rome right now with me because God can change your life. God has a plan for you. I've told you that. And I want you to believe it with all of your heart. So will you say this prayer with me? Dear Lord Jesus, I invite you into my life this day. Change me. Help me. I pray, oh God, I'm going to live for you. Friend, if you've just said that prayer, I can tell you that God has just changed you and has come into your life. Now, I believe that today you may have listened to this and you've known that God already lives in your life. Well, God wants to speak to you and help you. So I'm going to pray a second prayer, and that prayer is for a miracle to happen for you this day. I believe in miracles. I know you do as well. So let's pray and let God touch you right where you're listening to this sermon. Lord, I thank you today for my friend that has heard this message. Lord, I know that they have needs and situations that's going on in their life. God, you're a big God, and you hear and answer our prayers. So today, oh God, will you hear this prayer from your humble servant? God, will you answer this prayer on my new friend's behalf? Will you heal them? Will you touch them? Will you guide them? Lord, come in right now, wherever they're listening, Lord, and answer their prayer. 
thank you, Lord, for doing that. If you've just said that prayer and listened to that prayer with me, I know that God has spoken to you. Would you do me a big favor? You're going to see, scrolled on the bottom of this, a website with an email address. If you said the prayer that said, God, come into my heart, or today you're believing with me for a miracle, I want you to drop us a quick note and say, hey, pastor, I want you to continue to pray for me and my family. You know, God loves you, and he has a plan for your life, and I'll guarantee you, your best days are still in front of you. So God bless you, and join us next week.